Scripture reading today is from the book of James, chapter four, verses four through twelve. Verses one through twelve. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? Your desire, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says? He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, "God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray as we go to hear the word of our God. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we need your word. Speak to us, O God. And may we hear your words, and may it transform our lives. Lord, open our hearts and open our ears. Let us be receptive, for these are not just mere words. This is not just a mere lecture, but it's the words that give life, the words that can give us perspective, the words that can change our hearts. So I pray for the people of ACC; they may be ready to hear it, and that is only possible by your Spirit being present with us. Be with me. Let me not speak my own words, but let these words be your truths and your reality. And together, may we receive this word and understand your goodness and your greatness. And may these words turn into worship towards you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing our series through James, and if uh, you've been following along, it's been uh, quite difficult. James is not the nicest author in the Bible. In this passage alone, he calls us Christians. He calls Christians adulterous, double-minded people, but at the very end, he calls us brothers and sisters. But James does not hold back. This is why there has always been a problem with James. James is not particularly uplifting most of the times. Where's the grace? Where's the love? 
Why all this name calling? I don't have the answer right now. But this passage is no doubt one of the reasons why people have been so hesitant to read James or take in the word of James. There's nothing um, miraculous or nothing amazing that I'm going to do with this passage because, simply put, this passage calls for the people of God to repent. That's it. You are to repent. But the question is, why do we repent? And hopefully we're going to explore that a little bit. Why do we repent? Why do we repent? And what happens when we repent? If you're like me, I've always thought the answer is easy. You repent because you got to keep it real. You got to repent because we're all sinners. Keep it real. You're not better than me. Keep it real. But as you explore the text of James, there is something profoundly more significant to repentance than just keep it, keeping it real. What we will actually find out that the act of repentance is what allows us to experience the grace of God in a more real way. It's not an easy act. There's no real way around it. There is weeping, groveling, crying. But undoubtedly, this is a way we get to experience the grace of God. And it is something every Christian brother and sister needs to participate in, the act of repentance. So my three points are simply this. We are going to talk about the need for repentance. Why do Christian brothers and sisters have to repent? Second point is the mode of repentance. How are we to repent? And third is the result of repentance. So the need for repentance, the mode of repentance, and the result of repentance. For those of you who may not be Christian and who may be exploring, what you are witnessing is what we call family talk, where things we have to address to each other, uncomfortable truths in which we need to get real with ourselves, in which we need to better self-reflect on who we are. The need for repentance. David, last week, actually began talking about verses 1 through 4, and he was talking about wisdom. And I want to jump on that and and go a little bit deeper in why we need repentance. It's not only for wisdom, like David was talking about, but we need to repent because sin left unchecked causes war among us. Here we have in verse 1, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? In an initial reading of that verse, all we see is, yeah, why are these arguments happening? We think arguments. We think childish, um, childish arguments. But if you look at the context and if you look at the word, what is really happening within this Christian congregation is that a full-on war is going out between people within the church. The term quarrel is not just arguing. It means battle, going to war. So it's not a simple thing. And if you read verse 2, you say, it says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. People are murdering each other. Now, some people say, are they murdering with words? Is an actual murder taking place? We don't know. But there are words for disagreements in the Bible for sure, but James has chosen to use the word murder. 
So there is murder going on, and because these passions are taking hold of us, what else happens? The church is dividing. There is a civil war going on. And why does that happen? James is saying it's because they do not repent of their own sins. You see, sin left unchecked causes division among us. If we do not repent as a church, we will quickly find ourselves as a church arguing against one another to a point where murder is a possibility. Now, we might say, no, not here at ACC. Maybe, maybe we might be far from that. But to the rest of the church, is it that out of the question? And could it be that out of the question for ACC? That's what makes sin so dangerous. Because we never think it's our problem. We think it's a problem out there. Do you think churches where there are murders, where there's a civil war, where there is division, that they planned on doing that? Was it in their minutes? Was it in when the sessions met? We should say, we should plan some big wars among us. No, it's because sin ran rampant in the church. It's because they never checked their sin, and sin was allowed to grow. So sin left unchecked causes war among us. But why? Why does it cause war among us? See, the reality is sin left unchecked makes our desire for the world grow stronger. That's the real reason these wars happen. It's because our passions, our desires, begin to fuse with our sin. And what sin does, it it makes good things seem like good things, and we begin to fight for them. Oftentimes, when churches fight, it's never over an inherently bad thing. You never hear churches say, hey, I want to start a prostitution ring. No. Now we're going to fight over that. It's never over that, is it? It's always over something maybe doctrinal. Maybe we want a church building. Are those things inherently bad? No. But what's happening? Sin is making our passions for the world grow stronger. Little by little, sin takes a hold of our passions and make it grow into something to things that we must have, that we must have more than God himself. When we think of sin, oftentimes we might think of drug addiction. We might think of other things. But we know that drug addiction is bad, and oftentimes drug addiction is easy to point out because there's a physical manifestation that happens after drug addiction. But what's scary about sin and affecting the soul is this. It's hardly unnoticeable. And sin left unchecked, the sin begins to grow more in you, and you may, and it may never show itself up. You can be a totally good citizen, a good person, and never repent, and sin will be taking a hold of your heart. What does sin do? It makes worldly things into things that we want more than God. Let me give you a quick example. I have a wife, and um, this is not a true story, by the way. I have a wife. Me having a wife is a true story. But I have a wife, 
And what if I had a friend that was a girl? Is my friendship with a girl a bad thing? No. Okay, we can have male friends, we can have female friends, and even the church encourages us to have friendships between the opposite sex. That is inherently a good thing. When does it become a little bit dangerous, though? When does it become something not good? Easy. When my passion for my friend grows larger than my wife. And it happens in the most easiest ways. My wife can call and say, Jeff, are you coming home for dinner? And I'll say, oh, no, I'm just having dinner with Beatrice tonight. Okay, that can happen sometimes. Jeff, we have, a, we have a summer vacation plans. It's okay, I'm going to go hang out with Beatrice for the summer. You see, there becomes a problem. Is the friendship inherently bad? No, but it's when we make choices. You see the sin forming slowly. And so for us, it's not an obvious thing. It's not drugs are bad. It's when we value things over God. And it could be good things. For us, it could be our job. Is your desire to excel in your job a bad thing? No, it's a great thing. But do you desire that more than you desire God? Your relationship with your children, a beautiful, wonderful thing. You can love your children, and that's a good thing. You should pursue that. But do you love your children more than God? Loving your spouse, it's a beautiful thing, a wonderful thing, and and something that we should pursue. But do you love that person more than God? This is why in verse 4, James calls us adulterers. Because he says, your love for the world has grown stronger than for your love for God. And this is a reality that all Christians face, that I face. And this is what makes sin so difficult to handle. Because it's not a black or white issue. Sin is something that creeps into our lives and and sometimes we often don't even know it's sin. We think it's something good. But what happens? We slowly become adulterers and we no longer love God and place God at its highest peak in our life, our highest priority. And this leads to my third point of what happens when we leave sin unchecked and why we need repentance. It infuriates God. Sin left unchecked infuriates our God. God will have none of it. Here in this verse, verse 6, it says, Do you not know that he yearns jealousy over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? And we believe that that spirit, is the Holy Spirit that he has implanted in you. And remember, how did that spirit come into your body? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you so that he could unleash the spirit into our souls. And God loves that soul. And it is no mystery that God loves us so much that he will go to any lengths to love us. So he will not just stand by and, and let you love something else besides him. 
In this amazing concept, it could be a time for condemnation, but sometimes we have to sit and think about that is how much God loves us. He is zealous for us. And we should be thrilled that we are allowed to repent. Imagine for one second that I, I hang out with this other girlfriend besides my wife, and I go to my wife and I say, I'm sorry for canceling on you all those times. I'm sorry, Christine. And she goes, it's all right. I don't really mind. Is that comforting? Because my second question is, do you even love me? But here's this great fact. God is calling you to repentance because he loves you that much. And I think it's super exciting. The more I read scripture, I find it amazing that God can love us this much. Sometimes the complaint against Christianity is, why does God even care about us? But in scripture, it shows that he cares about us and cares about us intensely. We have a passionate God that we serve. We have a God who knows how to love at its highest level, and so much so that he allows his people to call each other adulterers. Because he wants you so bad. He wants you for himself. And anything that gets in his way hurts him and infuriates him. Again, this is not simply just bad things. It's loving the right things in its right priority. God must come number one. We can love our family, we can love our spouses, we can love our country, but first we must love God first. And everything from, must flow from that. We must repent because if we do not, our love for other things will grow. That is fact. Every one of us, our hearts are prone to wander. And we might say it's, to be honest, it's so easy to love the world. There's so many beautiful things in the world. The world is good. It's great. But if you see God, you would realize he is more. And he is greater. And so how do we repent? What is the mode of repentance? The first thing is we must submit to Christ. We must submit to Christ. When I talk about repentance, I am not talking simply asking for forgiveness. That is an important thing we do, and that's something we do every Sunday. But forgiveness, asking for forgiveness is not the same thing as repentance. Repentance is a disposition that we have in which we submit to Christ, and we learn who Christ is, and we say, Christ, conform my will to yours. And what is one practical way we can do that? You should read the Bible. Read the Bible. You cannot submit to Christ if you do not know anything about him. And in the Bible, we have a great treasure in which Christ reveals himself. Now, one more thing. If you agree with everything in the Bible and you find everything in the Bible easy to do, I am going to call your bluff and say you are not reading the Bible. You should have disagreements with the Bible. 
Christ does not say submit to him because it's easy. There should things you should absolutely disagree with. Because why? We're not Christ. We don't understand his ways. We should say, I don't get that, God, but I will submit. Teach me your ways. So if any of you are saying, I agree everything with the Bible, you are not reading the Bible. Simply put. There's just no other way around it. I disagree with the Bible all the time. Okay, not all the time. <laughs> I want to alleviate some of the stuff. But I would say a good majority of the time, I have some trouble and issue with it. My personality is to be just a little bit more stoic, laissez-faire. But, oh man, if you read the Bible, God is so nosy. God is so involved in our lives. God, why do you get angry at these things? God, just chill. But here, I do not yet understand the full scope of holiness. And that is why I must submit and understand that God is good. And so first thing we must do is submit to Christ, and that is to know who Christ is. Second, in our lives, we must grieve over our sin. James says in his verses, we need to mourn over our sins. There must be times in our Christian lives where we must cry over our sins and we must weep. And this doesn't have to happen right away, but we need to develop the practice of where we sit before Christ and where we cry out to him. If you have not spent time weeping over your soul within the past year, then I say you are in a pretty dangerous place. And I can say with great fear that I have not weeped over my sins. And that's scary. That's scary. We must learn as a church to weep over our sins. Why? Because we won't understand love until we learn how to repent of our own sins. That's my third point. What happens when we cry and grieve over our sins? The first thing is you actually begin to understand how much God loves you. You begin to know how much he really loves you. Embedded in this passage is a promise that when we submit to God... And that when we grieve over our sins, God draws close to us. And we feel his presence. And when we mourn over our sins, our heart and our will becomes more with God himself. And we begin to realize just how amazing the gospel is. God, you still love me despite this? God, you still, you grieve over my sin like this, yet you still love me, yet you still sent your son to die for me. We begin to experience the grace of God in new ways that we probably cannot experience otherwise. It is in our repentance that we come close to God. And that is 
one of the great things that happens from repentance. We understand the gospel more clearly. What is the other thing that happens? It's alluded to in the beginning and at the end. Repentance allows you to love your neighbors better. James is criticizing the church because there are quarrels, fights, and murdering that is happening amongst each other. And his solution to the fights and quarrels is that you repent. Because when you repent, this is what happens. You realize the difficulty that other people are going through in their sin. Have you ever noticed that in the more less affluent communities, the less, the quote-unquote poor societies, that they are the nicest people that you've ever met? Why is that? Because they understand the struggle. Just today, I saw two people who did not know each other, and they just, they did not know, they're asking questions about each other on the bus here. And he said, it's just, life is tough. This person didn't ask for money, so he just pulled out his wallet and says, here's $5, brother. God bless. This person didn't even ask for money. But why was he so generous to this neighbor? Because he understands the difficulty of living in that society. And for us Christians, we should understand the difficulty of living with sin. Our repentance should show us why it's hard to follow Christ and why we need a Savior. And in that, we should not fight with one another, but love one another. The last verses, 11 through 12, seem kind of odd and seem kind of strange because in some way it seems like James is trying to uplift us, but he's actually rebuking us. It's quite strange. Let me read it for you. It says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? That's somewhat condemning, but what he's referring to is obviously Leviticus 19, the summation of the great commandments, of the Ten Commandments. Let me read it for you, 19 verses 17 through 19. It says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. When we repent, we do two things. We acknowledge that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And we also begin to learn to love our neighbors. We let go of the desires of this world and our main interest becomes the desires of our brothers and our sisters. There is grace to be found in repentance. Repentance is not a practice to make you feel bad. That's part of it though. I'm not going to lie. You're going to feel bad. But that is not the goal. That is not the objective it is to make you submit, not to me, not to the church, but make you submit to Christ. The other goal is to make you more loving. 
the more you understand the difficulties of sin and how they entangle you, your heart, the more you are sympathetic with other people. And so when you approach other people, because we are not off the hook of engaging with people, when you go to them to help them, to change their ways, it comes out as loving. It comes out as from a genuine place. It comes from a place of Christ. If the church, if our church, not just ACC, if the Catholic church, not the Roman Catholic church, but the universal church, if they would just be good at repenting and seeing the sins of their own heart, I guarantee you there would be much more acts of love and unity rather than ways to condemn other people. We should be at the forefront in understanding how difficult sin is to handle. We should be at the forefront in understanding why we need a Savior. If we simply just have to quit a drug habit, if we just have to be better to our husbands and wives, we leave no place for Christ. And it makes a very complex situation too, too simple. Christ is saying, only I can solve these things. You need me. You need my love that I give to you. Brothers and sisters, repent. That is the point of this sermon. That we repent over our sins in order that we may grow in the grace of God. ACC as a church, may we be a church that re repents individually and that repents continuously, collectively. And together may we see Christ as our Lord and Savior who is able to heal us from all our sins. Praise be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we're sorry. Oftentimes we think we can live this life by ourselves. We think we know what we want. We think we know what's good for our hearts. But Lord, you want something more for us. And oftentimes we shortchange ourselves by pursuing our own desires. Let us pursue your desires. Lord, Father, we want to feel love. We have one life to live and we do want it to be grand. We want to love like never before. Given our current climate, Lord, you have given us a perfect opportunity to learn, to repent, and to love. So thank you for this opportunity, and we pray that every member here would repent, and that we would draw near to you, and that we would experience your presence. We thank you, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.